Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Miss Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Remember That Time Perez in the Cursed Second Red Bull fought off the seven-time world champion for most of the race, then beat him in a two-lap sprint restart. That title supplied by Richard Reddy from Essex. Fine, okay, the real show title is Kick the Tires and Light Some Fires, Checo is Back. That title supplied on Twitter by Jamie Penning. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Good evening, Matt. And good evening, Spanners. I'm always delighted to be on when I get to talk about the fact that tires are always the most important thing on any car. Is tires one of the subjects for today? Uh, that's about all we're going to be talking about, I suspect. So, okay, well, it's you and I on the show. We're the most important ones. So you want to talk about tires. I just want to talk about Perez. So I guess that's, that's the direction of the show. Easy show notes today. A piece of cake. Um, actually, I think today was a, a great race, and part of my justification for that would be that I was 10 minutes late, so I got held up at work. Um, I, I phoned my son, and I said, right, pause the television until I get home. So we started 10 minutes late, and I thought, it's okay, I will catch up when there's some boring bits or when nothing's likely to happen. And we didn't catch up until the stroll safety car. Yeah, because things just kept happening. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a properly good race from start to finish. And I will say that I'm loving this new format. Yeah, and uh, what the new sprint race format at the end. Indeed. It's a bold choice by Formula One to just throw that into the middle of a street circuit race. Yeah. Yeah, I think we just need to make sure we give it plenty of time before we decide if we like it or not. That's all. Also today, because I was slightly behind, we haven't figured out how to pause the live timing, and I realized how much I missed it. I hate beating this drum all the time, but the race is entirely different without the live timing. So when there was a crossover and some people were still out on the hards, uh, so it's still out on the softs, I, I was just screaming at the TV going, well, what's the 
What's the pace of the hards? What's the outlap pace of the hards? What's sector two with the hard lap runners? And I just, I was lost without it. Yeah, it, it, it's it, when it's not there and occasionally like when the data feed crashes, you're just left going, what's the pit window? Where is everybody? Who's in traffic? Who's got back markers? It's such a huge improvement to be able to have all that information to hand while you're watching the race unfold. Do you know what we're going to do for this race review? We're going to start at lap 49 and we're going to work our way backwards from there. And I think that will be a good plan. But first, I need to remind everybody that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by our race analyst, super duper driver man, Brad Philpott. Good afternoon, Brad. Good afternoon, Spanners. Um, I was also delayed watching the race because I was watching and distracted by a much more important race happening in Germany, which was the Nürburgring 24 hours. So I actually missed the start of this race, watched it 20 minutes behind until I eventually caught up similar to you. But how did you spend the entire race arguing with random people on Twitter and telling them why they're wrong? Yeah, it was a bizarre experience just having to leave my phone on the side because I didn't want <laughs> any spoilers. clues about what had happened um, in the 20 minutes between live and me. So uh, I didn't interact on social media whatsoever until the red flag. I saw notifications coming through. That's why I was desperate. I was looking for opportunities to fast forward and catch up. But in this race, Black Brad, I mean, we got to lap 17 and I had absolutely no idea where the race was going. Like I couldn't call it from there. Yep, same here. Um, I was just hoping that Maybe Hamilton might be able to make some impression on the Red Bulls, but I wasn't that hopeful. So there was definitely a point where I thought this is probably going to be reasonably dull from this point onwards. And we're also joined by Kyle Edgy Power. Good afternoon, Kyle. Good afternoon, Spanners. Um, I didn't have any delays. I did watch the race live and I was getting extremely worried at one point because I had a fairly sizable bet on there being a safety car <laughs> and I was ex waiting for Baku to start and I'm like, okay, they're being way too well behaved. I was getting incredibly worried because I was about to throw a lot of money down the drain. Thank you, Stroll's Pirelli tyre. That is the quote of the show so far, which is, I was I was waiting for Baku to start. When, Dad, when's Baku going to start? Yeah, because you, you thought... Oh, this is just kind of going kind to of, kind of settle down because I think we all had kind of Monaco PTSD, didn't we? Yeah. And they're all being amazingly well behaved. There were hardly any driving errors when we saw so many in qualifying. Yeah. And I was like, come on, somebody's got to bin it in a minute. Come on, guys. Uh, Matt, what do you think of our little scheme to start at lap 49? I think it is positively Shakespearean, the race within the race. Yeah, let's do that. So what kicked off race uh, lap 49's dramas kind of starts a little bit further back. So lap 49 is Max Verstappen's tyre blowing. But all the teams kind of had a warning with Lance Stroll's tyre going. So the Aston Martins had started on the hard tyre and decided to just go as long as possible. And the reaction of Lance Stroll, Brad, was so human. It was such a... Uh, you know, such a kind of, you could feel the fear and we're not used to racing drivers sort of doing that out loud, but you must have had moments on track where you've just been stuck in the middle of the track and gone, this, bad, this is bad. And Stroll was just going, red flag, red flag, get me out of here. And that just, to me, that haunted me. That brought home the horror of being in an F1 crash. Yeah, he was acutely aware of just how fast the other cars are going at that point on the track. And you saw, even after he'd lost wheels and the car was coming to a halt at the end of the crash. He was trying to turn to the left. He was trying to get the car away from the middle of the track 
as best he could because nobody wants to be at that angle with the cockpit exposed with cars coming towards them. And we all remember what happened to Antoine Hubert not that long ago. So it's that situation and he doesn't want to be in that position. So he was shouting red flag, red flag immediately. Oh, Matt. Yeah. And it was, it was really a surprise um, because Pirelli had, they don't give prescriptions, but they do make suggestions. And they had suggested that the, the hard tire would last 40 laps. Um, and they had even uh, taken the step on Saturday of raising the pressure in the rear tires, an entire PSI over what it was after they looked at the Friday data. So I, I know we can look at it um, with the Verstappen failure as definitely being a red flag or something to be concerned about. But I just, the person in me who occasionally plays a journalist wants to point out that nothing has been concluded yet. Right. And the Stapex lawyers would like you to know. Yeah, as far as we know, this could actually be two unrelated freak failures that, that just happened to happen in the same race. I know they were both the same. It was both the left rear, wasn't it? So things seem to be pointing towards it, um, not just being freak failures, but it could be. Um, but after the first one, I don't think we had enough reason to believe that everybody should just come in and change or the race should be stopped or anything yeah. like that. It could very well have just been debris and just a one-off. I see, Carl, as a fellow trained fault-finding engineer, did your kind of spidey sense go off? Because you, you see those two factors that are kind of linked together and immediately your brain goes, right, what's the common root cause? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, as it was happening... It, it's both the rear left tires. Now everyone was worried about the rear right tire. No one had really mentioned rear left tires throughout the entire weekend. And plus, when they announced that they've also found a cut on Hamilton's tire as well, oh, the rear left really? is making me think that it, yeah, he had a big old cut in his tire as well, which wasn't through the construction. Luckily, but it's making me think that there's a curb out there that they've been hitting. If you go slightly over wide, maybe that turn fifteen. I don't know, but it's making me think that it's the common denominator. Is it's always the same tire, one of the most unloaded tires on the car. So there must be some sort of um, external interference on that tire. Well, that's reminding me somewhat of the Kvyat failure in Silverstone, where he was going, where they were going wide out of maggots and beckets, and wound up picking up cuts from the curb there. They, they discovered as they wore the grass and dirt away behind the edge of the curb. And it's very kind of you, Matt, to use the English pronunciation of Silverstone instead of Silverstone. Very impressed. You've come so far. And yet I have uh, all the way to go, apparently. <laughs> uh, OK, so it, th there's a lot of people saying, uh, oh, it's debris. It, it just feels unlikely that all three of those incidents would be from random bits of debris on the same tyre. So that's my current conclusion, I think, uh, Kyle, is that yeah, a, a curb. A curb or the less likely one is that the track characteristics were just wearing that tyre. But if we're looking at actual cuts on some of the carcasses, then you just, just got to go, it is likely to be a curb or something, which is what happened in, in Silverstone, didn't it, in 2013, when we had 18 cars hit the turn yeah. four curb and, and blow. Yes, I do think it's a curb. And plus also, there wasn't that many incidents, really. There wasn't that much debris out there. I know random things can fall on the track, but there wasn't that many that many things out there. Now, I think Pirelli did say that they think Verstappen's might have been a bit of debris because they could see how the cut has formed. So they can tell if it's obviously an object that's moved around with the tyre. They can see that. Um, so, but that could have been from Strolls. But I definitely don't think Strolls was debris. I think he's hit a curb or done something to it. 
Okay, so Max Verstappen leading this Grand Prix. Don't worry, we are going to cover all the circumstances of how that came to be. But Max Verstappen looks like he is comfortably home. He's got a rear gunner behind him who has just absolutely ruined Lewis Hamilton's race all race long. And this is going to be him extending his driver championship. Red Bull with a a fantastic and long overdue one-two. Verstappen goes out, hits the wall. Thankfully, is is okay gets out of the car, uh, inspects the rear tyre with his feet, um, and then Perez goes on beyond. Wasn't it so kind, Brad, so kind and caring of Red Bull to just be so concerned about the other teams and drivers that they they radioed into race control to try and get the race red flagged? Just for safety, you understand. Yeah, so I've I've seen this on social media quite a bit. Uh, People saying it was very sporting of Red Bull to to ask for a red flag so everyone could change their tyres. And I think that's extremely naive because I was waiting for that very radio message because obviously they wanted the race to be ended. So it would just be stopped, not restarted, and they'd get the two lap count back and Max would win the race. That was that was at the forefront of my mind. I was thinking, surely we're not going to have a restart with two laps to go. The moment they called a red flag when they could have just finished under safety car, I was convinced that was exactly what was going to happen. And Max was going to, to win. win the race. So I don't think it was them trying to be nicer and, and trying to be fair and sporting to everyone at all. <laughs> well, I'm interested, first of all, because you left out the telling detail of Max giving his left rear tire a swift kick before he departed across the straight to the pit lane. But I'm going to argue that, although still self-interest, I think given the fact that failure occurred without warning on the Red Bull pit wall, they may have been worried about even two laps under the safety car, bringing Perez home in first place. And as we learned afterwards, and this is critical, Perez also was nursing a hydraulics issue. And the red flag meant they would get the car in the pit lane and be able to replace any broken parts. So while I get the count back argument, I'm going with the Perez argument for myself. I was just about to say exactly that. There was the small issue of they were very, very worried that they were going to get Perez to the end. So the first opportunity at Red Flag was a godsend. They were like, brilliant, we can do it. Let's just call the race now, lads. That's absolutely perfect. Um, going with the Verstappen kick in the car, I had flashes of um, Basil Fawlty in Fawlty Towers attacking his car with the branch. That's exactly the first thing I saw, I saw when I saw that. There's, fan- there's some fantastic photos of it. Just want to point out, just, just to put a marker here for future when we discuss this topic, because we always will come back to it. If Lewis was to have done that, very understandable, same thing. If Hamilton has a tyre failure and gets out and kicks the tyre, the headlines in the tabloids tomorrow are all about how Hamilton is petulant and has lost his um, mental focus, blah, blah, blah. So I just want to stick that in there so we can remember it. For we, the future. we need a bumper to play, don't we? They're like, uh, imagine if Lewis did it. Exactly. Kyle? I was going to say exactly that. Yeah, the the bumper. I love to play the game of what if Lewis would have said that or then quote other drivers quotes at people when they're getting upset about Lewis and then they freak out and point out that that was actually a Daniel Ricciardo quote. Okay, let's give this a go. Um, Here we go, here we go, here we go. What if Lewis did it? Maybe that might that might even work. Although I will say here, the fault isn't 
here that we're criticizing the driver reaction to get out of your car after losing from the lead for something that isn't your fault and just kick the car to me seems like actually a pretty reasonable response that the fault here brad is that if lewis hamilton did it he would be judged very harshly actually the stappen's reaction was better than what he did on saturday which was saying naughty words on the tv in front of the children but today that's fine that's perfectly expected what he did I mean, he did that too, because I don't think the car had even stopped and all I could hear was beeping on the team radio. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he said any words which weren't beeped. It was just one long series of beeps. So he did that too, which is also understandable. Yeah, I, I, I do think that that is, that is kind of fair, Matt, because he'd done nothing wrong all race long. Uh, the team had put together a perfect weekend, a perfect plan, and it was about to be executed. I, I am genuinely gutted for Verstappen, Verstappen fans and Red Bull because that was so nearly the perfect weekend. Yeah, it was. And and to be fair, that outburst was on team radio and not while he was being interviewed after the yeah, event. Yeah, yeah. I like to draw a bit of a line there because the the FOM choose to broadcast, choose which radio messages to broadcast. So it's well within their power to not put that out if that's what they're thinking. Okay, but, but top tip to any F1 drivers watching, if you crash from the lead, they're definitely playing your team radio reaction. Kyle? I also think it's worth mentioning the the kind of um, serenity and patience that Red Bull had in the early phase of the race, just to sit there, not go for any desperate moves, and then basically play Mercedes on the strategy and, and play Mercedes at their own game and pull it off. Mercedes are usually the ones taking their time in the race, and it was Red Bull this time. It just shows how much confidence they have in their race pace oh man the race engineer just being in max's ear telling him wind speed direction just being super calm red bull had this they were all over this weekend however that perfect one two was not to be that brings out a red flag we, we did have some comments in the live chat hello live chat follow us on youtube like and subscribe the video please uh, click the bell you'll get a notification when we go live that said that max would have been ineligible to win on account back because he had caused the red flag. So we'll explore that uh, probably uh, in our news show uh, on Sunday, which will be pre-recorded, no live stream next Sunday. But Matt, that takes us to the restart. And the emotions we're going through here are uh, are wild. So everybody who's watching this race now does not know what's going to happen. We went from a static situation where we felt like we were in control as viewers. We, We were watching Red Bull bring it home to just not having a clue what was happening. Now, League of Justice-wise, what really should have happened is Max Verstappen was leading the race. He had a bit of bad luck. Perez goes past him and he continues to hold off the car. He's been holding off all race long. It's a Perez win, Hamilton second. And, And that, you would think, is the natural order, which is why I don't think too many people would have argued if they had either just finished under the safety car, because that was that was the end. That was your dramatic conclusion. Good race, everyone. Or if they'd have had a red flag and then called it, okay, yeah, we did a count back. Max is not included in that. Again, Perez, Hamilton. I don't think many people would have argued with that. If they had just kept a natural safety car, Brad, this is my thing. If they'd done with the safety car what they did with Stroll, the race would have just finished under safety car conditions. Have you heard any reason for them to not finish under safety car? It seemed really weird to me that that didn't happen. It just seemed like, uh, obviously you could argue that you know, you need to bring them in for the tyre safety, but they're going so slow. No one's going to have a failure at that speed. And even if they did, they could just carry on driving around at that speed with a, you know, with a flat tire. So it seemed, it seemed very odd 
to red flag and restart unless they just wanted the excitement of a standing start sprint race. Kyle, they did just want the excitement of a standing start sprint race. Yeah, I think Brad's just touched on it there. I think in years gone past, it it would have definitely been a safety car. I mean, I messaged on our WhatsApp group as soon as that happened. I was like, well, that's the end of the race then. They'll just they'll just be going to the end on the safety car, but with this push for sprint races, more entertainment, the more fan influx from Drive to Survive, we want explosions every five minutes. That was the perfect <laughs> opportunity, and I was really happy that they actually did it because we did get a last last gasp, like last lap dash drama, and it was fantastic. It was all very American, wasn't it? Trumpets. If the, if what Carl was saying, they want excitement. They provided it, but is it is it pure? Is it real? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, you have Red Bull calling from the pit wall to Mazzy asking for a red flag. It was their car that crashed, and they're saying, we had no warning this was about to happen. So I think that alone is perhaps worthy of the race director's time and attention. And on top of it, uh, unlike the Stroll crash, the Verstappen crash left a lot of debris across pretty much the whole straight. So it may have just been what is the quickest way to finish this race? In other words, is it quicker to just shut the track and put everybody out there and clean it up or, or, or to have them keep on dodging whenever the safety car goes around? But it took way longer to red flag it and then restart Thank it. Like, like literally half an hour longer to do that. So I don't think that argument is probably the one. Because they could just keep going through the pit lane or Latifi could just keep going wherever he wants. <laughs> Fair enough. Ooh, Kyle. Yeah, I feel a bit bad for Latifi because he, like, I, I don't blame him. He was, he was like, should I come in? And Latifi was like, no, stay out, stay out, stay out, stay out. And he was like, oh, you should have come in. Oh, thanks. That was 100% not Latifi's fault, by the way. That was the team making a clear order, stay out. And I totally agree with him. Stay out means stay on the track, man. Yeah, they, like, to, to clarify that for anyone who missed it, the cars were going through the pit lane anyway at that point, were they? And, and the, the team meant stay don't come into the pit box but come through the pit lane but the drivers are hardwired to 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 hear stay out therefore means stay on the track so did he get a punishment for that yeah he yep. he got grid a grid penalty for the restart no he got um a 10 second stop go that was converted to a 30 second penalty and three points on his license ah oh, that is unlucky and you could tell that the the guy on the team radio instantly went oh yeah i can I can definitely see why you meant that and put his hand up immediately. Uh, So that was unlucky. Does that get us to the restart itself? I think it does. It gets us to the exciting restart. So I I was kind of torn here between Perez and Hamilton and where my my fandom should lie for the race. Earlier in the race, when uh, when Hamilton was making overtakes, uh, attempts on Perez, and I, I was... I was cheering, I found I was cheering on Perez over Hamilton and my son said, oh, hang on a minute. Are you supporting Perez now more than Hamilton? I'm like, what? Well, hang on. I just, I think I need, I need a Perez result more than I need a Hamilton result. And I even said to him, I said, actually, the perfect thing for, for my personal fandom would be if Verstappen was to bin it and then Perez come home first and Hamilton still come in second. So when Verstappen went off, my son went, you called it. I said, no, I didn't call it. I was just doing a magic wish to the universe and it came true. Uh, but so from that restart, you look at the the characters that are on the front row and you go, actually, these are two of the most conservative starters off of the grid. Perez, I'm, I'm always shocked at like how he goes backwards from the front row. And Hamilton seems to have this mentality of, 
live to fight another day at the moment. So I was kind of betting Matt on uh, on Vettel to come through and just take advantage of everyone. Well, you almost weren't wrong about that. So let's just be clear. Critically, all the teams were allowed to mount new tires. Critically, all the teams were allowed to replace broken parts. And in this case, that included the front wing on Hamilton's car, which got replaced because he'd been running it with damage pretty much the whole race. And at the start, you had Perez on the softs, you had Hamilton on the hards, and immediately the thought that I had was that if Hamilton doesn't get this done into turn one, then it's game over because there's no way he's going to get his tires hot enough in the in two laps to make any kind of serious attempt on Perez. Perez will just be gone. But for Hamilton, you don't need to win this race, Kyle. No, exactly as he said over the radio. We need to take it. Um, this is a marathon, not a sprint. We need to be nice and cautious. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh, he's just playing mind games and he went straight up the inside of Perez. Well, he got an awesome jump. He got an awesome launch off the line. Perez didn't get such a great one. What was he supposed to do? Slam on the brakes to yeah. stay true to his word? You know, of course he's going to go for it. He ended up fully alongside Perez. Uh, well, I just want to go to Brad quickly because I found this with all karting and iRacing and stuff. As a conservative driver, whenever I've tried to be conservative and go in with that mindset, uh, it's almost bad when you suddenly have an overtaking opportunity forced on you and you go, ah, do you know what? I didn't want... Just go. Why aren't you miles down the track? Why am I suddenly fighting you when I was going to give you that position? And often that mentality creates problems more than uh, more than solves them. I think... Lewis had a pretty neutral mentality at this point. I don't think he was being super conservative, but I also think this is quite easily mischaracterized as Lewis going for a dive bomb down the inside and he just messed it up. But that just isn't what happened. He just, as, as Kyle and you mentioned, he just got a better start than Perez, was easily more than alongside. He was almost half a car length ahead and braked at a normal point. He didn't do anything reckless or, or you know, it wasn't a late move or anything like that, which is what it could be characterized as because of what then happened next. But then he didn't make the corner. And so it looks a lot different to what he actually intended. Yeah. And I'm going to agree with Brad here a hundred percent. The move, it wasn't a win it or Bennett move. He was fully alongside Perez when Perez tried to squeeze him. And actually, as you mentioned, Spanners, Perez had to back off of that maneuver because Vettel was coming round the outside very rapidly. And had he not moved out, Vettel would have been around Perez and Perez would have been in third place, except for when we got to the breaking point of turn one, um, it, uh, Lewis, instead of making the turn, he was clearly ahead of Perez at that point, 100% his corner, his left front locks up and he just goes sliding straight off into the runoff area and game over Mercedes. We'll talk about Hamilton's brake issue in just a moment. I just want to I want to keep this to the racing part of that restart to start with. Uh, from Perez's point of view, I actually saw his moves and actions there slightly differently. So I want to turn to our two racers on the panel, Kyle and Brad. It's not you and Matt, me, Matt. We're not the racers on the panel, unfortunately. I, I'm, I accept that. Okay, me too. But what I saw was Perez in a bad position from yet another bad grid start. Uh, moving over, covering to the left, seeing that Hamilton had the jump on in him, what he was doing was giving Hamilton the narrowest line possible, so making things really inconvenient for him. I think he actually did that quite well, Kyle. Um, and then at some point, you give up and you go as far as you can to the right to then give yourself the best racing line. But then Vettel was there. But actually, Perez, I think he handled the bad start pretty well. 
I think he handled it perfectly. And as you say, your natural thing to do when you're defending is to pinch your opponent tight on the inside for as long as you can without hindering yourself too much. But as you said, before he goes to swing across, Vettel was there. So he was kind of sandwiched, but he broke when he did. He saw Hamilton instantly start accelerating and he probably knew in that split second Hamilton was going straight on. So he just waited to turn in very calm, didn't throw away the opportunity. His heart was probably thumping at that point because he knew this was the critical moment for him to win the second Grand Prix. And, and Brad, Hamilton's issues aside for the second, if you squeeze that guy on the inside, are you making it more likely that he is going to lock a, an outside wheel having to turn more into the corner? Yeah, absolutely. Because the the tighter you are to the inside of a corner, the more steering lock you're going to have to apply to navigate that corner and the slower you're going to have to go in order to make that line. So yeah, Perez did exactly the right thing. He caused Hamilton to, even if he didn't have a brake issue, which we'll touch upon, he just was pressed up against the inside and had the hardest possible um, job to get through that corner. But the best thing Perez did was by moving across on Hamilton, caused Hamilton to, to, turn the steering wheel in a sharp way whilst upshifting and ultimately oh, yeah. won him the race by doing that. Mm, I'm just, I don't know. Obviously I'm being a bit biased. I'm just trying to give, I'm just trying to give Paris some credit here, but it was a good defense. And then Carl, he had that wonderful moment that we've all had at every level of racing where the leader bins it off in front of you. And then all of a sudden the seas part and there's no, and you go, <laughs> it's like the most unbelievable, wonderful feeling at any level of racing, just to see suddenly the leaders go, and there's no cars ahead. Absolutely. It's the uh, simply, simply lovely feeling, as Max Verstappen described a few years ago. Um, unfortunate for Lewis, um, as Brad said, yeah, just a, just a jink on the wheel. And obviously he's just clicked a switch, his special um, brake magic switch, which they all have and they use under safety car. Obviously didn't realise, hits the brakes, expecting totally different brake performance. Yeah, so he had effectively somewhere near 100% front brake bias when he braked and you can't apply the same pressure as you normally would, um, which is why obviously it was an instant lockup and he was completely caught out. Um, But as you mentioned, when the C's part in front of you and the leader goes off, that's a great feeling made even better when you've just kind of messed up a restart from pole Mm -hmm. and, and you were thinking, oh, I'm kind of going to be looked down on a bit by the team management for effectively throwing away a win with my bad start suddenly you're you're the golden boy again and everything's good here you go matt in the chat room manolo uh Besseling says wow guys why can't you just admit hamilton messed up i know you guys worship lewis hamilton but come on i assume that's how he was saying it uh, well because in my opinion i'm not sure that lewis really did mess up so let's talk about break magic real quick okay good It's a lever, as described by everyone who talked about it, which means that it's something that sticks out and you can flip back and forth, toggle back and forth. And according, and I listened to actually the the post-race, Lewis pulling up in the pit lane and he goes, was the magic on? And Bono goes, yes, Lewis. His tone, his tone was so bad. Heartbreaking. And he goes, I thought I cut it off. And Bono goes, you did. You accidentally knocked it on an upshift. Oh, if I'm the person who designed that steering wheel, I'm sitting there with my head in my hands because my driver has cost himself the race through a, through a feature that I've put on there. So I also wanted to ask Brad, you said a hundred percent. Can, can you tell us like what would a normal driver run in terms of brake bias versus where you think it was 
when this switch got flipped. So in a in a single seater with very stiff suspension, like a Formula One car, you're talking like probably an absolute maximum of 60% front bias, but probably a lot closer to 50% um, because the car doesn't really dive under braking. So it's very, very close to 50-50. So he, he would expect to brake firmly and the front will generally lock first, but with a, only a very few clicks of rearward bias, you could quite easily then get the rear to, to lock first. In this instance, it was 100% front locking and the rear brakes were effectively doing nothing. So you're asking the fronts to do everything. When you apply the same pressure as you normally do on the brake pedal, you get very different reaction from the car. And that's why that's why I think in, in this instance, it's very obviously a driver error. Hamilton has lost this race for himself. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he won't go away from this race thinking, he won't go away with the confidence knock that he would have done if it was purely a misjudgment. If he braked too hard, or braked at the wrong point, or something which is a, a driving error, he would go away with a little bit of self-doubt. But fortunately for him, although he's lost the chance at a win, he he knows this is effectively a procedural error. It's like putting the car in yeah. the wrong engine mode. Sure. Um, you don't then think, you don't then doubt your driving abilities off the back of that. So Yes, and, and I think that's that was what my reaction to the chat room comments were. It, it wasn't that we we know Lewis Hamilton messed up. It's the fact that we were acknowledging that we know it's his mistake, but it's an unlucky mistake, Kyle. It's not like he just just hit a wall. He he just made one of those mistakes. We go, oh, I wasn't even that wasn't even in my head, in my mind as a possible thing, and it surprised you, and you're gutted. So yes, he did make a mistake. It's just an unlucky one. Oh, absolutely, it's one hundred percent driving error. A driver error, not necessarily a driving error, a procedural error, as as Brad said. And this is not necessarily a new thing at, at Baku. Remember back a couple of years ago, can't remember exactly when, when Grosjean, I think, was in fifth place for Haas, looking at a great result and binned it under the safety car and put it in the wall. He was actually using brake magic, but on the rear brakes to try and get some heat in his rear brakes. So all of the bias, and he said after the race, I forgot I had it on. All of the rear bias was on the rear brakes. He jabs the brakes and puts himself straight into the wall. So <laughs> Lewis is not the first to do it at this race, but 100% it's a Lewis error. Yeah. He'll be kicking himself, you know, but but guaranteed they will be straight back in that Mercedes factory looking very closely at the ergonomics of that wheel oh. and where they can move this switch to try to prevent the same thing I, happening. I'm glad you used the word ergonomics because it is, it is Derek in ergonomics who's sitting there kicking himself, uh, as Matt said. Like if it's something critical like that, you would want it on a rocker switch underneath like a, a flip up. So you, you flip it up and then like, so you're sure you're actively pressing that button if it's a button that causes a failure like that. Um, yeah, I don't know, Matt. Or it's one of those things where it happens so rarely that you're not going to redesign a wheel over it. You just say to Lewis, just keep your thumb lower. Well, you just, at the end of the day, what you say is, how many races has it been like this? And this has never been a problem. Sometimes failures only happen very, very, very rarely in very weird circumstances. And so today they found out that, that, that this was a possible thing that they didn't know about before they'll fix it and they'll move on. That's kind of what Mercedes does. That's sort of their brief. But to me, the important thing to take away from it is it was not an intentional or an oversight error from Hamilton. It happened yeah, in not, the midst yeah. of battle. Not yeah. a driving error, a sort of a, a technical error. Still an error, of course. So, but look, let's focus in on the guys who really did fantastically out of that restart. I'm going to start with, we've already covered Perez really with what he did off the restart, fluffed it off the line, defended really well from Hamilton, uh, owned that space on the outside of turn one with Vettel, and then drove off into the distance. Yeah, well, then we should probably talk about Vettel because, oh my goodness, he was already in fourth place. Mm -hmm. 
before this happened, and when, once once Lewis went off, I, I mean, he was in fourth place till Verstappen went off. Then he was in third place, and then Hamilton goes off, and suddenly Vettel, who everyone had written off, he can't drive anymore. He's done. He's done for. Stick a fork in that man. Suddenly Vettel's cruising around in second place, happy as a clam. So the racing from from Vettel uh, on that restart was just brilliant. It was aggressive. The way he he took advantage of other drivers having to check up in the gap in the pack, it was wonderful. And and I think he was kind of a bit harsh on himself, Carl, because he's just got second place in the Baku Grand Prix, and he's acting almost embarrassed. He's acting like he didn't earn it, and he so earned it. Yeah, he did. For two races on the trot now, Aston Martin had been using the huge overcut technique to very, very, very good effect. So Vettel's obviously very comfortable with the car. He manages the tyres extremely well. And also another poignant sort of point to it is um, uh, he had a he had a set of brand new softs left to bolt on for the restart. So yeah, I was actually thinking he was he had a good shout of winning it. He's got great straight line speed and he's been fighty. His whole first stint was fantastic. Uh, honorable mention for another mover off the 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 re restart whatever it was right at the end was a uh, Alonso uh, made up several several positions. Uh, he was out of the points, I believe, and he did like five or six places on that on that restart. It was it was incredible until the restart. I mean, they were out of the points and done, and so, he just absolutely nailed it. So as we've said the entire season, the former champions that have moved teams are definitely brilliant and will definitely do well this season. Well. In a two-lap sprint race where you don't have to manage <laughs> tires, then yeah, maybe maybe we'll give you some credit there. But you know who I really want to talk about? Oh, oh quick, is our last before you say another name, I just want to say the Vettel thing. In an alt- alternate universe, sorry, Matt. Before we move off Vettel, no, in an alternate no, no, universe, fine. Perez's yeah. hydraulic problem that they were worried about rears its ugly head just before the the final straight. He pulls over, and Vettel takes an unlikely Aston Martin win. I just wanted an early candidate for our coulda woulda shoulda segment and, and we will stick him in there when we get to it but i want to talk about gasly because the real star once we got past turn one of the last two laps was gasly leclerc and norris all taking big swipes at each other as as they came across the line but it was gasly that won it took the last podium position and uh yeah provided us with a great deal of entertainment Brad, that that little that, that little chain, that generation there of uh, of Gasly, Leclerc, and um, Norris, you just go. Oh, look at the future of F one battling for podiums. We keep seeing it last season and this season, and every time they're scrapping it out, like just with this almost just like reckless youthful energy, it it makes me feel really positive about the future of F one. I also love how many behind the scenes stories are going on with each of these characters in in this drama playing out. You've got Gasly, who is still, you know, fighting to just show that he is not the driver that he looked like when he was a factory Red Bull driver, when he was, um, you know, when he was really made to look second rate. Since that point, he's just been out fighting, coming out all guns blazing and having these really good results. You've got Norris, who um, had a red flag infringement in qualifying, and he's trying to come back and get a respectable result and, and keep McLaren in the hunt ahead of the Ferraris. You've got Leclerc who started the race on pole and he's also just trying to get a real decent result from the day. There's so many stories going on and they're all on the same bit of track fighting tooth and nail. Wait, wait, let's let's just dive deeper into one of those stories. Lando Norris taking that grid penalty, Kyle. Justified or not? I think it's absolutely a slam dunk. Of course it was justified. If you look at his radio, 
uh, well, if, you, if you listen to his radio and look at the footage, he gets the red flag. He actually comes on the radio and says, red flag, red flag, and is already in the pit lane, then kind of hesitates with his engineer, then kind of straddles the line, then decides not to go into the pit lane. He had plenty of time to get slowed down, and it was just a bit of a hesitation, wrong decision. So I think that was absolutely fair enough. It, like he, yeah. he clearly broke the rules and clearly had a lot of time to react to it and didn't. And this is qualifying just for anyone who's lost track. Brad? So I kind of feel a bit different to Kyle on this one. I feel that this is a bit of a dangerous precedent to set that unless you react instantly with the exact correct decision, when a situation like a red flag happens, when you, you know, suddenly when you're approaching the pit lane and you have to just make a decision, otherwise you're going to get penalized for it. I think that's a bit dangerous. What he did was he, he wasn't entirely sure. First of all, if he can slow down in time for the pit lane, if he's supposed to come into the pit, whether he's going to get a penalty for crossing the white line, it's all happening very quickly for him. And what he decides to do is just keep the car fully under control, ask the team, didn't get an answer quick enough, and then just decided to safely carry on down the straight, very obviously with nothing in front of him. He didn't cause a danger to anyone. He didn't act recklessly. He just didn't, in the split second that it all happened, know 100% what he was supposed to do. In hindsight, Yes, when the red flag comes out, if you can get into the pits, you come into the pits. But rather than make a split decision that might have been dangerous or wrong, he just calmly carried on, no danger to anyone. I don't think that should be a penalty. I think that should be a warning. Lando, just make sure you're 100% up on the rules and you're paying attention, but kind of no harm, no foul. I think it's a little bit um, dangerous to say, nope, you've got to make a split second decision and hope you get it right. It's a good point, Matt. Yeah, except for all the people on the radio who know the rules. Yes, in the lane, box, box, box. End of story. We see drivers penalized all the time for unsafe releases. This is absolutely no different. And it's fair, I think, of the FIA to expect the drivers to really understand clearly what the rules are in red flag situations. So, Kyle, my issue here would be what is the motivation? If it was Norris's motivation to try and stay out because he wanted to finish a lap or gain an advantage and he was trying to override the safety element, then I think the, the penalty is, is justified. But obviously you can't get in his brain. But that's that's the my line of thinking. Um, yeah, I don't think there was that much advantage to gain. I think it was purely a fact of um because i think it actually when he was in going into the pit lane you see there is a dashed dotted white line then it goes solid he was already well within that dotted white line and he'd actually already backed off so that's why i think they penalized him because he was already going into the pit lane and had already backed off then decided to react and change direction so i think it was just purely hesitation and didn't quite know the rules and as trumpet says it's not beyond the realms of expectations to expect the drivers to know the rules I mean, I don't expect them to know every weird little rule, but it seems like red flag rules are kind of important. And yeah. I, mean, I remember uh, Davidson in the commentary going, uh, yeah, in WEC, I'd have been nailed for that in seconds. Okay, so we have kind of strayed into the midfield. My plan was to go to uh, where the race was won and lost because it's a, it was a race of two parts. So you could talk about where the race was won and lost between the front three and Leclerc. And that is that is our plan. That is where we will eventually go. But since we've kind of strayed into the midfield, Matt, I wanted to to stay there and just, just talk about uh, Leclerc a little bit because he would have had very high expectations starting from pole. And you could kind of feel, you could sense from the radio messages as he was going back through that pack, there was kind of a moment of realisation of like, okay, well, I've lost that place. Okay, well... I've lost out to the next two guys. 
oh, I can't keep up. What can we do? Oh, oh, there's nothing we really can do uh, apart from roll, roll the dice. And I don't know. I, I think expectation management might have been off for Ferrari. Well, I think Leclerc always has incredibly high expectations for himself. But at a circuit that demands power, they were never going to do great. And in fact, it was pretty common knowledge that in order to qualify well, they were putting themselves at the mercy of severe tire issues, which, you know, certainly didn't help Carlos Sainz cause at all when he went off. And, you know, we saw Leclerc. I mean, the fact that he was battling for the last podium spot at the end of the race, uh, if I was Ferrari, I'd be entirely happy yeah, with that at a track right. that was never going to be great <laughs> for my team to begin with this year. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, let's go back to our original plan. Unless you had a quick point there, Kyle? I was just about to say, I think it was Leclerc being absolutely unbelievable in qualifying and absolutely getting more out of the car than and putting the car where it really didn't deserve to be. They knew they were going to have tyre problems in the race, okay. so they just decided to fight as hard as they possibly could and salvage whatever they could from it. Right. We're going to go talk about where the race was won and lost from the start now. What, but on I, the way, I just want to mention the one person who really did lose out okay. before we go there. Go on then. That Do was it. Botas. The restart ruined any chance he had of getting any points. And I know we're going to talk about him later. But well, I just, well, we've got a number twos segment after we discuss where the race was won and lost. That bumper was a little louder than I expected. I like it. That surprised me, but it was good. It was aggressive, Kyle. That bumper makes me want to eat steak. I don't know why, but it's very steakhouse. I like oh, it. With some peppercorn sauce. Oh, Matt, where was the race won and lost? And, and we're going to talk about now as if the sprint race almost didn't happen. So we've got the, the race um, as the gods of F1 intended, which was the, Lewis Hamilton getting past Leclerc, losing out to the pit stops to the two Red Bulls, Verstappen ahead, the battle between Perez and Hamilton. So that's what we're focusing on right now. I love it when you read my notes. I know, I just I watched the race as well. 
I know. I know you do. You always have good contributions as well. Oh, thanks for giving me some small amount of credit for Missed Apex podcast. I appreciate that little that little nod. Cheers, trumpets. Anytime. Glad to help. As you know. All right. So where was it won? Where was it lost? Well, if you were Red Bull, the start was critical. Was it because Verstappen was in the lead? No. But it was because Perez on the first lap gained two places and stuck himself right behind Max Verstappen. And it has been, well, I don't know, a couple of years, would you say, guys? Since we saw a Red Bull driver do exactly that. Okay, so firstly, we can't... I want to give Perez credit for those overtaking maneuvers that got him up to where he should have been if he wasn't continually stuffing Q3. Because that is still a massive weakness, Kyle. It's just like, okay... We can give Perez all the credit in the world for going up the grid, but he should not have been starting in sixth place in the first place. That said, those two overtakes, the Gasly one especially, were chef's kiss. It's a little bit unfair to say that on him in qualifying because he was done over by the red flags. Yes, he Uh, didn't nail, he didn't hook his first lap up, but he got denied the chance of a second lap. But yeah, his start was incredible. He got up the inside and nailed science on turn one. And then his move on Gasly, he was he wasn't barely alongside him when they got to the braking zone. He did that all on the brakes. That wasn't powering past somebody. That was purely putting everything on the line, braking desperately late. And do you see how close he got to the wall on the outside on the exit? It was perfection. Absolutely. And to carry on with that, he managed to get by Leclerc right after Verstappen did. He did not get gapped off. Yeah, he next was lap, not wasn't made. It? Yeah, he was not made. It was a couple of laps later, I think. Hamilton took a couple of laps till there was DRS, and then the lap after that was Verstappen, and I think the lap after that was Perez. Point is, he stayed in touch with Verstappen, and he presented himself as a chess piece Red Bull could use, where Hamilton was now entirely isolated because our friend Valtteri, well, as we all know, did not have the best of weekends. Before we get away from those two overtakes, uh, Brad, perhaps a little bit personal when it's Gasly that you're stuck behind. It's a bad look to be stuck behind the demoted Red Bull driver. But I mean, how good was just, was it a kind of uncharacteristic Perez move to just squirt it around the outside? It, it did look a bit leery. Yeah, I just think he's at the point now where he knows that he now needs to do something different to his previous, uh, the previous second seat Red Bull um, inhabitants. He needs to start being the driver that Red Bull need him to be. And hopefully that's just getting through and he's at a track where it's possible to actually make some moves, unlike the last one. Yeah. Um, and in the moment that those two Red Bulls started flying in formation, I, I was thinking, okay, this is now going to um, cause the Mercedes boys some problems. Yeah, nice to see them two on one, Kyle. Yeah, and the brilliant thing for Red, the brilliant thing for Red Bull was the fact that they almost had a problem on their hands. Like if Perez hadn't had a slow stop, he was he was every almost every bit a match for. Verstappen's race pace in that first stint and they haven't had this issue for quite a long time and they can use him as a strategical sort of pawn but it was almost causing them a problem he was almost too fast in that first stint and I love the fact that you brought up the pit stops because that is every bit the second place where the race was won and lost we saw Alonso and Norris in early stuck behind and we saw every we saw the hard tire was going to be the tire that everyone wanted to be on And then we had Hamilton coming in once he had a happy pit window for himself and he had a super long stop. And the reason he had that stop was because guess who else came in that same lap? 
that would be Pierre Gasly. Yep, that's right, friends. The AlphaTauri driver kept Hamilton locked in his pit box <laughs> for two extra seconds. Now, I looked at the gaps. I'm pretty convinced Verstappen had him anyway. Yeah. And we know Mercedes with the issues and the hard tires and warming up, it would, the overcut was going to be Ooh. more likely successful for Red Bull. This is where I've but got a question. Man, yeah, this is where I've got questions for you, Matt, because okay. I, I didn't have the timing screens. So was the overcut powerful or was it the fact that the Verstappen was now kind of unleashed? Because I, I wondered, were the new hard tires beating the old softs at that point? Uh, they weren't. They were taking too long to warm up. Right. Um, the, the, the asphalt, the track surface at Azerbaijan is not particularly abrasive. And Mercedes has always has been struggling with tire warm up the entire season. It was always going to be a push for Hamilton to to make that happen. But traditionally at Baku, the undercut has been the winning maneuver. And I think that's why you saw Hamilton and Mercedes go that way. As happens, it was just not the right choice today. Yeah. And as Trumpet said, it's quite unusual to have the overcut being so powerful, similar to Monaco and maybe because it's they all went onto that hard tire which is harder to warm up now whether it was a Ferrari maybe in Lewis's position might have been able to heat its tires up a bit better and make better use for them but we actually saw there was um it was Leclerc Russell and Giovinazzi all made very early pit stops and it didn't exactly work out very well for them apart from Norris and I'm glad you brought that up because the reason Gasly was in on that lap was that was the lap he was more than 20 seconds ahead of Leclerc, which Uh meant that he had him out of the pit window. And so they brought him in. It was entirely, I'm sure, a coincidence. (laughs) Tinfoil hat. Don't do it. Kyle, take my tinfoil hat off for me. (laughs) I was going to say, it's perfect. I'm with Matt. Of course, they completely engineered that and calculated it. Now's the time. Completely. Obviously, of course they didn't. Um, uh, with the Mercedes pitting, and it looks like they pitted early to try and protect from the undercut, I'm not so sure. I don't think they had much choice. I think Lewis was starting to then hemorrhage time to Verstappen, yeah. and I think they would have got past. So I think we're going to hit the, I, I actually think on a rare occasion, I think Lewis was actually losing his tyres before everyone else. Okay, so when Perez was left out in front with that overcut window, it was like 18.8 seconds, something like that. If they had kept him out, maybe they'd start to do that crossover where Verstappen's tyres heats up. Uh, but it, it felt, just for a split second, like Perez could have done another lap, stayed out, and been in the lead. So firstly, why didn't that happen? And secondly, what would have happened if that did happen? Uh, Matt, I'll give, go to you for part one and Brad for part two. Right. So the critical thing was, what was Verstappen's response to Hamilton's pit stop going to be? And his response was, I'm covering that puppy. So that means Perez is automatically out for a second lap. And they brought him in at the conclusion of that lap, probably because that's pretty much standard operating procedure. Mm. They were on the soft tires. The soft tires, I mean, the pit window, I think, opened lap 11 for the soft tires. And we're, we're already past that. We're lap 13, yeah, yeah. 14. So I think Red Bull was just doing what it did. Now, as, yep. as it happens, it was a long stop. 
And there are people who think that it might have been a long stop for a particular reason <laughs> that may or may not be a Dutch driver. No, right. And this gets into the meat and the heart of it. So from my point of view, Carl, I'm thinking, well, if they give him another lap, he might go ahead of Verstappen. Actually, Red Bull will have just been thinking, how do we maintain the status quo? How do we keep Perez ahead of Hamilton? Because that's a very nice situation for, for us to be in. Uh, but you do wonder whether you go, oh, Perez is going to come out ahead. This creates some difficulty. And that's what I wonder. What would they have done had tactically Perez been able to get out ahead of Max? I did think when he had his long stop, I was like, well, that's incredibly convenient because his <laughs> Perez's in-lap, he was lighting up the time screens. He went purple yeah, he was, in yeah. um, sectors two. Which is well, why one I wondered, why not stay out for another one? But Horner did say after the race that Perez went too long on his marks and his pit stop. Uh-huh. So it was a Perez inflicted that upon himself, unfortunately. He went a bit too far. I don't know, Brad, there we go. We're building quite a picture of Perez. Kind of, okay, so poor qualifying, uh, didn't hit his marks on the pit stop. Poor start at the restart, still comes away with a, a race win. But that, that aside, the dynamic within the team it is Verstappen's team, isn't it? And and Perez did the job today for Verstappen. The win is almost accidental. If he'd have popped out ahead, there will have been a little order that came through, surely. I don't think there's any question in Perez's mind that he is signed up for this year, at the very least, to support Max. I think he's mm. there with the knowledge that if Max needs supporting, then you're going to allow him through, not fight him too hard, whatever. So I, at no point did I think if Perez comes out ahead because of the way the strategy works out, that that's going to prevent Max from winning. Max was going to be ahead by the end if the Red Bulls were running in the wrong order. That's just what was going to happen. I found it very interesting um, afterwards in Horner's interview again, where I, I don't know who was asking the questions, but they asked him, he goes, oh, you were going to have a sticky situation there with um, if Perez didn't have his... Um, didn't have his long stop, were you going to use team orders? And Horner just instantly laughed it off and goes, no, it's far too early in the season for daft stuff like that. And he was like, no, and it's just like, mm, I'm pretty sure you would have done. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Kyle. It's far too early in the season to have daft orders like supporting the driver that is massively out ahead of the other one in the championship. That's just, uh, Horner is is full of rubbish a lot of the time. And it doesn't even try and hide the, the kind of false things he said it's like surely you know everybody listening to this conversation knows you're just saying the thing and it's not true um yeah anyway there's just there's just no doubt that yeah i agree I everybody agree. in that environment knows who is who who's the preferred driver who is going to be the one in the hunt for the championship i absolutely disagree if perez had been out in front he would have stayed out in front until they pitted him lap 49 for a fresh soft tire to set fast lap and take the point away from hamilton <laughs> yeah yeah or, some, or something like that There's, it's, it's um i can see why they're having that pretense for now because they're hoping it's a problem that doesn't come up too often they're they're hoping brad that most of the time he's doing what he did today which is be right behind max yeah i'm not criticizing red bull no no this, no me neither, uh, by me the way yeah. and i'm not saying it's that Max is getting some kind of um, treatment that he doesn't deserve. This is obviously what they should do. Yes, I agree. Uh, it's just a, I just think that when Perez signed his contract, there will have been conversations that say, you know, if you happen to just be amazing and you're the one leading the team, then obviously we'll, we'll help you out. But probably that isn't going to be the case. Yeah. And so if it isn't, then you know what to do. You know, they're, they're not stopping Perez from performing well. Max is just naturally the better one. So it makes sense. And the and the one who knows the car better, and the one who's generally faster at it, and the one who's what four points ahead. 
in the drivers' championship now? Look, I, yeah. I am a massive advocate of having a clear number one in a team. When we have missed Apex F1 racing, we will have a clear number one. It will be Philpott, uh, number one, uh, with a, a dummy driver. Who do you want as your number two driver, by the way? Who's your compliant number two driver, Brad, when we when we do missed Apex F1? What, among among our panel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, um, you've got to put me in. I'll never overtake you. I'm, I'm the perfect teammate. Yeah, but the problem is it needs to be someone who's fast enough to <sighs> do the Perez job. So it's going to have to be... Is, okay, here you go, Brad. Is Perez fast enough to do the job that he has been employed to do? Is that argument dead now? The, oh, he's no better than uh, Albon and, and Gasly? I don't know if it is dead. I alluded to this in, in a kind of Twitter conversation with you earlier, because you're always the one that says, you know, not to look at the exceptions and to look at the, the, trend. the trends. And so there's definitely been talk, a lot of talk up until this point this season saying, well, is Perez not just doing exactly the same job as, as Albon and Gasly before him? This is the exception at the moment. Well, okay, but I think my art counter to that is this has been coming. We've seen that the pace has been there on various races. In the races where Perez is punished for being inexplicably terrible on Saturdays, yes, he can't get past at Monaco. But in the races where he has been able to pass, he's looked good. And on the timing screens, his lap times have been competitive. I think it was uh, Imola or Portimao. They were even messaging Max and saying, OK, here's where you're losing to Perez. And Perez was going, yeah, but hang on a minute. Perez is not having to defend from Lewis Hamilton for, for a start. So that's my counter, Kyle, is that, is that this result has been coming. He just needed to put a weekend together, have the rub of the green. But he, he always had the pace to make something like this happen. Yeah, I entirely agree. And that's, that's what I think is the difference between Perez and Gasly and Albon, is the fact that Perez has actually shown that promise. He's shown that promise quite a few times. His race pace in, in um, Bahrain was really good. Uh, Red Bull impressed how he came through the field. Yes, he needs to hook up a clean weekend, yeah. but he's, he's been very close to Max in qualifying. When Max has dropped the ball a bit, Perez Perez has been there. He's been very close and his race pace runs on the Friday practices have been extremely good. I think he's shown them this glimpse of promise, which they haven't quite seen from Gasly or Albon. Look at Imola, where he was very new to the car. He was on pace, but he just kept stuffing it up and making mistakes. Even there, the potential was there. But then you have Barcelona and Monaco, which punished poor Saturdays. Uh, Matt, I would make the argument today that in our coulda, woulda, shoulda race, where Verstappen just goes off and wins, he turns around immediately and gives Perez a big hug because he absolutely wrecked Lewis Hamilton's Sunday today. Yeah, there's no arguing it. When we were talking earlier about it, I said, yeah, winning the race is nice. But if you ask me, Perez proved his worth by his defense on Hamilton. When he can get the car in that place, he is going to keep Hamilton at bay and do a better job of it than anyone else we've seen in that car since uh, Ricardo departed for, you know, uh, greener pastures, I suppose. And on that, I really do think Honda proved their worth a lot today. Uh, okay. Because uh, not forgetting that the, the Mercedes had new power units in for this race. The Honda and the Red Bull didn't. And they could still fight off the Mercedes down the longest straight on the calendar. I think that's quite telling. Uh, so yeah sorry yeah go on carry on matt beg your pardon i was just going to mention for anyone who's curious as to exactly why that is our friend summers has an article out about that you can go look it up in motorsport.com okay 
Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's but, good. So I was just going to note someone in the chat saying, oh, can we not get carried away with the one most recent? I understand that argument. I understand that argument that you just go, oh, well, well, because Ferrari and Monaco were good in slow corners, we can't extrapolate that out for the rest of the season. I just, I do think that if we have this Perez conversation uh, in 10 races time, I feel like we're going to look back and go, he's had a solid season. Those first five races were a bit dodgy because he couldn't put it together. But if you look at it, I think he got on pace reasonably quickly, just was unable to kind of put that full race weekend uh, together. But I'm, I'm happy to have that argument again in 10 races time. And when he fluffs it at Paul Ricard and qualifies 10th uh, and has a poor race and, and leaves Verstappen sh- sh- surrounded by two Mercedes, yeah, we can have the chat again. But I'm just saying, Matt, that the general core potential has now actually been real. We can't argue that the potential has not been realized. It's race six of the season and and it's and it's come together. Yeah, and and that's impressive. I mean, if we think about the person who came closest, that would be Albon twice. He was in a position to be fighting with Hamilton at the end of the race. And, hit, and hit him twice. <laughs> Perez won that battle yeah. with this car. Now, before we go away from the pet strategies, we do need to mention one more name here. Okay. Sebastian Vettel who ran 20 laps on his soft tires, yeah. pointed out to everybody that the overcut and going long was the way to go and, and made up a bulk of places just by doing that. So uh, Sebastian Vettel does seem particularly decent at figuring out what his whole race strategy should be from within the car. Aston Martin clearly had some kind of tire magic this weekend. They'd started Stroll on the on the hards. They were the only team to run race laps with the hards in practice, I think. Correct. Okay. Yep. Uh, and then, so what was it about Vettel on the softs that made him realize they could go longer? Was it Was it the position he was in in the pack? Was he under less pressure than the front guys? Well, I think that's a bit. He was able to start at his own pace and maintain his own pace. But at the end of the day, Vettel is a tire whisperer too, and always has been. But he he now has a car that he understands well enough that he can extract the maximum from these Pirelli tires, and he absolutely did so today. Yeah, and Vettel is one of the most intelligent drivers on the grid. If we think back to 2019, he got criticised. Well, through 2017 through to 2019, he got criticised for his mistakes, but you need to remember that he was essentially calling all of the strategy shots yeah. from within the car, correcting the team. Yeah. And really the Ferrari relied on him on, on him a lot. So he's got great feedback. He knows fully his limitations, but for those uh, eagle eyed uh, Alan Partridge fans, the quote was, that's the sign of a man. He's really in control of his motor vehicle. As Partridge would say that Vettel's completely got on top of the car. Now he's made a breakthrough and he's, He's milked those tires further than anyone else could. Very impressive. Carl, you know it's very insensitive to to quote Alan Partridge to a to a, a local radio presenter. It's just that's like it just hits home too hard. It's too close to the bone. Stop it, uh, Matt. Uh, sorry, Brad. Then Matt. I just wanted to ask if you guys now think that we can put to bed the Vettel's going to be replaced mid-season. <laughs> that was because always it wasn't stupid. It wasn't that long ago that we yeah. were talking about that. Yeah, you know, he was he was not looking great, but he's had a couple of races now. To build confidence, obviously a great result today. Well, well, um, hang on, Brad. Are you saying that it, in the end it doesn't turn out that Lance Stroll is better than four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel? Is that? Are you seriously suggesting that? 
I mean, it'll be it'll be a relief for us, won't it, if if um, this is now the trend. But yeah, Sebastian's just looked way more at home. Yeah. So it, it's it's good to see. You love to see it. No, I do. And someone went, oh, everyone's a everyone's a Seb Vettel fan now. I think think most people are Sebastian Vettel fans now. It, it's like one of those classic stories, uh, uh, Kyle, where in the franchise the original movie bad guy gets defeated, but they want the actor back for the for the sequels so they have to make him now a good guy that's what's happened with Vettel ish he's always been a good guy my I love his sense of humor as he said on the cool down lap where did you get my number from when I think it was Rosanna wasn't it coming over <laughs> yeah, the yeah, radio yeah, yeah. Vettel has always been he's always had a great sense of humor like I've always been a Vettel fan so this is why I'm so happy to see him doing well and it's clicking because like you guys I was worried he was going to have a horrible like a whimper out of the sport, but he's coming back with a vengeance and it's great to see. Obviously I was worried because the results weren't coming, but there was a deep confidence that he will and still will continue to be better than, than Lance Stroll. It would have been too big a story. I think Brad, wouldn't it? It would have been, if we got to the end of the season and Stroll has been outperforming Vettel, something strange. What logic would we need to get? This is the far more obvious convenient uh easy to decipher outcome i was actually quite confident that it was going to be that way and that stroll was going to outperform him and this was all some kind of big grand plan to show that lance stroll really is good because look he beat a four-time world champion uh, and it still might end it still up might like be, that. yeah it still might be yeah, this might. is still only one or two good results today obviously a very good result for vettel it might end up back the other way at more normal tracks i kind of hope um it won't be but but yeah, it's certainly a good start for, for Vettel now. So oh, yeah. Hang on. fingers this, crossed. This is a good point. Someone's going, hey, what do you mean Vettel, Vettel was the bad guy? Right, yeah, sorry. That is totally my bias as someone who thinks of Ferrari as just like this ultimate death star that needs to be defeated. And Vettel was the captain of the death star. Did the death star have a captain or an emperor or a, a commander or something? Whatever that was, it was, it was Vettel going, let's go to uh, ludicrous speed. That was Vettel. Yeah, well, I mean, if you say, tell me about a race from the late 90s, Schumacher drives off, wins. Tell me about a race exactly, from yeah. 2008 to 13. Oh, Vettel drives off, wins. So Vettel was the winner. Vettel was the guy you rooted against. And he has been, as you say, through that journey to the point where he is now an underdog. Oh, so oh, yeah. suddenly he's a sympathetic character. So you're from, here's a former world champion who can't catch a break. He's been kicked and beaten by his former teams. He fetches up at Aston and suddenly he's come good. What's not to love about that story? Also, it's worth noting there's a, a British element here where the Germans are our brothers, especially when it comes to sport, and we love to hate them. Uh, there's a huge football rivalry as well. Germany's knocked us out of every international competition on penalties ever. So, yeah, so in that love-hate relationship, any German driver is automatically the opposition. But that's why... This is why I've always been a Vettel fan because he's a <laughs> he's a complete anglophile. He loves yes. Monty Python. He loves all the good comedies. He's always cracking jokes. Have you seen the video of him doing the, the Nigel Mansell impression at the Autosport <laughs> Awards, for instance? Yes, he's always had a great sense of humour. So he's never been a baddie in my eyes. Yes, that did look somewhat rum fueled. Matt, I suggest though we get ourselves back to uh, one and lost in this initial scenario. Perez is, is holding off Hamilton for, for Vettel. The, the one question that was hanging over my head was, could they, could someone have rolled the dice and gone for a second stop, bolted on some fresh tyres and tried to make their way back through the pack? 
Yeah, but that that again would have been like around a lap 40 kind of call where you were just stuck behind someone and thought thought you could make up enough time on them. I don't think it was a realistic possibility. Where we were left after the pit stops was waiting for Baku to be Baku. We needed a safety car and no one needed it more since we're talking about Aston than Lance Stroll, who, as you point out, started on the hard tire, had made great progress up the field. If he had pitted, you know, lap 29, he was in the points, probably given Vettel's run on the softs, probably running softs to the end and just, you know, wreaking as much havoc as possible. But in the ultimate irony of ironies, yeah, the safety car was brought out by the one person whom it would have most benefited. That would be Lance Stroll. One of the commentary team on Sky who didn't ruin my weekend of F1 viewing made a really good comment about uh, goal hanging and called what Stroll was doing goal hanging, waiting for the safety car. It's such a good analogy because in football, if you hang, just hang around up front, you're not really being that useful for your team. But in that one moment, if the, if the ball comes over properly, you can just have an easy tap in. And that is what Stroll was doing with the safety car. It was a wonderful analogy, Kyle. Yep, there is no offside rule in Formula One. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I think, are we close to the end of one and lost, Matt? I think I think we are. Yeah, because essentially, Stroll's accident was everything. And I don't want to take away from the fact that he did a good job on that hard tire. He would have pitted normally, no safety car. He was in the points now, and he did not start in the points. So once again, kudos to the Aston strategy team, because they got it right with both of their cars. Just unfortunately, the tire failure put Stroll out. And crucially, and I think especially for Hamilton, crucially, it put him in essentially the pit entry not moving, which means that when the safety car came out, the pit lane was Was closed and no one could jump in and take advantage of a free second stop for tires. That would have really mixed things up, potentially been a, a benefit. Verstappen would have had to decide what to do. Perez would have had to decide what to do. Hamilton would have done the opposite we could have seen an entirely different well, race mm. without that. Yeah, so none of them could could pit because they would have lose, lost too many places. Hamilton was still trying to make the case to his team, saying, well, I can't do anything with these tyres. At this moment, I'm not going to get past these guys. So he was pushing for something different, but I don't think that option was open. And finally, if we're talking about this, yeah, it compacted the field. It made Perez defend again. It mean Max had to drive harder again to establish his gap. But the one thing that happened on the restart was that Leclerc was all over Gasly. Gasly locked up, and that distraction let Vettel get by the both of them. Oh, is that Leclerc's lockup where he made the big 11s? <laughs> down, you know, down uh, into turn four, I think. It was, yeah, it was on the, it was, it mm. was the safety car restart. It was, I think it was Gasly locked up is how I have it in the notes. So if I'm oh, incorrect about that. Sorry, go on, Brad, clarify for us. Yeah, I think um, Gasly had a small lockup at turn one, then Vettel went past them and it was in the ensuing, in the next couple of corners, Leclerc then had a big lock up behind it and nearly went into the back of Vettel. Yes, that was right. And he managed to, how hard is it to to hold once you get that kind of slide going? You could see him sort of cadence breaking. But the thought I had on the onboard was there was a genuine, I don't want to ruin the race for the guy in front of me. I've messed up and I don't want to make it any worse. He was just holding on. The tyres were locked. They never unlocked until... Didn't they? until he oh. kind of slid past Vettel. Uh, it was a very, very big double lockup. He was just very lucky that oh, he right, didn't okay. actually hit him. He will have been bleeding off the pressure all that time, 
But what you don't want to do is come completely off and back on and off and on. He was oh, just okay. trying to reduce the pressure to the point where the wheels unlocked. It's just that happened after he would have already hit Vettel. It was just millimeter perfect. Couple of couple of housekeeping notes before we move on to the second driver subject, which I know you're desperate to get to, because it's all about. Uh, we, we've Perez. already covered Perez and the second driver thing, but yes, we could talk about Bottas in a bit. Please make your points. Bottas and 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 several others, but the point I want to make is that the interesting choice for Mercedes for me was that Bottas didn't come in for new tires, where we saw some of the people more towards the back of the race do. That might have been a benefit to him further down the line. And most importantly, for all the teams, we haven't raced here since 19. It was much cooler today. And their Friday long runs were all disrupted by red flags. And so there wasn't the same kind of data for the teams to be making these choices that they're used to having. All right, then let's move on to, let's say the midfield. And by midfield, I cruelly mean Valtteri Bottas. Uh, but if you have been listening to the show uh, to this point, if you've got to the hour and 14 mark, you might want to consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. It's the first link in the show notes. Just quickly tell you that you will get access to the streams that we do where we don't want to stream it to everyone because we just want a bit more of a chilled out stream and a live chat room. Not that we don't love 4,820 people in our chat room flying by for a race review. But sometimes we just want a bit of a quiet affair. So you'll join us in for those streams. Uh, There's an ad free feed on the next tier up. And also we do patron only podcasts as well, where we do uh, a live stream just for patrons and we have call ins as well. So you can call in and speak to us. And we also have a wonderful Slack forum community for our $5 patrons as well. So please consider being a patron at whatever tier. Click the link below patreon.com forward slash missed apex and those watching on the video will see the fantastic bumpers from video producer steve amy Uh, we've been working on making our live streams more popping and colorful and glowing so the the pretty faces of our panelists are not doing all the heavy lifting visually valtteri bottas brad is it was it as bad as it looked? I know people, I know Paul DeResta was determined that he'd taken one, he's taken one for the team. I didn't see it that way because Mercedes always swap who gets to go out first. But even with the disadvantages he had, it still didn't seem to go well. Right. So just to set the scene, at the previous race, Bottas was the better of the two drivers. But that is very much the outlier. Because the absolute overwhelming majority of the time at the moment, Bottas is nowhere compared to Lewis. And this weekend was a real stark example of that. When the Mercedes isn't clearly the fastest car, Bottas is nowhere. And he he wasn't even in the hunt for points. When you've got the lead driver, albeit, uh, you know, we know all about Lewis and how good he is, but you've he can't be that much better than the number two. You can't allow that. Lewis is looking at a potential win, certainly a podium, loads of points, whatever happens and, until he had the error. And you've got the other driver just nowhere, not even able to overtake the midfield cars, kind of dropping out of the points on pure pace, being overtaken by McLaren's. You know, it's, it was not... And I don't mean McLaren's on a good day. McLaren's on a yeah, quite bad day M- for McLaren's them. were not having a good weekend. And he was so still struggling. It, it just looked really bad. And you even had his engineer on the radio saying... 
Valtteri, unless you get past, we're looking at ninth or tenth at best. You know, it's like the team had kind of given up hope with him as well. Yeah, it was not a strong weekend at all for him. And as you mentioned as well, let's not forget that, you know, the guy has been incredibly unlucky. He had outperformed Lewis Hamilton all weekend at Monaco and got it cruelly taken away from him. So this is a double whammy for him. But his race pace on Friday wasn't great. His qualifying wasn't great. He just couldn't hook the car up. And during that first stint, he was dropping, he was neutral. He hadn't gone forward. He hadn't done anything. And he wasn't exactly hassling the person in front of him. I was just trying to check my notes, but my eyesight isn't good enough to read <laughs> from that far away. I think it may have been Sonoda. He was behind. Who was he behind in that first stint? Because he was dropping back. He wasn't yeah. hassling them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was actually dropping back from them. So it was, as Brad said, it, it, it was a bit of a disaster weekend for him. And it's so unfortunate because he was so good last weekend. And I think this is just a horrible horrible the worst possible outcome for his confidence right now so matt and i were arguing a little bit as to the why um matt i think you were looking at it for this weekend i've i've been looking at it at a kind of career a mercedes career long view and in that entire time against lewis hamilton he's always dropped off of the pace tire wise very early compared to the other guys but i know i know you had some specific issues that he might have been facing this week Right. So this to me uh, is the crux of the question. We have seen that Lewis Hamilton is a better driver than Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> okay. That's not controversial. That's fair. Try not, yeah, try not to be shocked. Yeah. Please, okay. don't, please just let me finish my point here. <laughs> Kidding. Um, but we have seen Bottas always doing the job that Mercedes generally needed done which is I'm doing better than the person who's second in the Red Bull seat. Yes. That did not happen today. was not even close to happening today. But as you mentioned, nine times out of 10, when we're talking about Botas, we're talking about his ability to manage tires, particularly at the end of his stent. He tends to degrade them quicker. They yeah. don't last as long. It puts him in a difficult strategic position often. This time around, and I think we saw this in Imola as well, the issue is, he did not have a car and a setup where he could actually get the tires to work for him at the beginning of the stint. This is sort of a known Mercedes issue. And I'm asking the question, are we going to make the same argument that we made for Album that maybe Mercedes just isn't quite giving him the tools he needs to do the job they're asking him? The, this is where it comes into a, adaptability. We've seen this before and i refer back to a comment i think it was back in around 2010 when button was teammates with hamilton and they said what's the most impressive thing you've noticed about lewis and it was like what he can do and work around with an unbalanced car and drive around the problems this right. is what the great drivers do this is what bottas sort of struggles with and we're seeing exactly the same issue with bottas that we kind of almost have in the motor gp world at the moment with maverick vinales everything's perfect they are very 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 good but when something's slightly not right, then nowhere. Um, and we're seeing this across the two sort of pinnacles in motorsport. And it's very, very obvious. So I feel sorry for Bottas. But yet on his day, he's proven time and time again, he can out-qualify Lewis Hamilton on pure merit, fair and square, if everything is perfect. When something's slightly not right, he drops back dramatically. Uh, all right. Look, I, I, I'll ask Brad this because the chat room's going, ah, it's time for the weekly Bottas bashing. What What's the defence here? Like, is there any kind of mitigating factor could we argue even that he doesn't have the same car it feels like no i i don't think that's the argument i just think when the field is close and mercedes aren't 
uh, yes. have an advantage. Lewis is able to make enough of a difference that he's still in the hunt. And then in the race, he he does his normal great job of being fast, preserving the tires, all that yeah. kind of stuff. He just seems to unable to be that much slower than whoever is, is the main competition that weekend. I'm glad you and, made that point because I, I've, I've long said if Rosberg was in a, a period where Mercedes were not as dominant, I think he would have fallen into the pack and struggled as well. Yeah, certainly on occasion. Uh, there, there were definitely times when Rosberg finished far enough behind Hamilton that in modern Formula One, 2021 yeah. Formula One, that puts you in the midfield. And it just was fortunate for him that that wasn't the case. They were yeah, he very clearly ahead times, in, in yeah. that period. So Bottas is just not quite quick enough with the current package in some circumstances to to make that extra difference that just puts Hamilton still in the hunt on the days when Mercedes aren't suiting that particular track. This weekend was very much one of them. And once you're mired in the field, if you're not that great at overtaking people, and we know Bottas just doesn't force the issue. If there's a car to pass, even a, a generally much slower car, unless it's an obvious easy pass, he's not going to do it. Note, to, note so, to the chat room there, don't use Monaco as an example of anything. Monaco is always a, a freak result and is very rarely representative of the rest of the season, Matt. Okay, so first of all, the chat room wants us to know that Lewis and Valtteri ran different rear wings, Valtteri running a higher downforce rear wing. Um, I don't think that, I think that may have been part of Mercedes' attempt to engineer a solution for him. It obviously did not work. But I'm going to ask Brad and Kyle, right, tire warm-up issues. Tire warm-up issues. Are we blaming Botas for not being good enough here? Or if I'm Mercedes, am I saying... It, it's a little bit on me because we know we couldn't really give you the tools. We know you need to succeed. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to know because we're not privy to these, you know, behind the scenes conversations speculate most of the time. Speculate wildly. But speculating wildly, maybe the reason Bottas was on this higher downforce setup this weekend was to help him get some temperature in the tyres and Lewis found a way to drive around that and could deal with the, the lower downforce setup that didn't press the car into the track as hard and, and generate the temperature. Maybe Bottas has caused his own issue in the race by having a high downforce setup because of his inability to switch the tyres on. Obviously, wild speculation. Yeah, um, I believe, I think it was from um, Toto's interview, I said it right this time, Toto, um, that it was it was Valtteri's actual decision. He made the decision to go with that wing. Okay. So obviously, he's struggling. He cannot do the low downforce i think i think they both tried it and he made that decision so it's not mercedes being unfair and giving them unequal equipment it was a conscious choice by bottas i'm sorry you didn't get your body time this weekend all right guys fantastic i suggest we move on to the podium Well, the Baku Grand Prix, Azerbaijan, delivered on this occasion. It's normally it's Schrodinger's Baku, isn't it? It is both at the same time an exciting and exhilarating Grand Prix. Or it could be, if not observed yet, a bore fest from lights to flag. On this occasion, the racing gods gave us the safety car Baku, which meant that we had a very interesting and int intriguing race, not just in terms of on-track action, but an evolution. For me, this is the race where we can no longer talk about the, the drivers who've moved teams needing time to get used to the car, because just about every second driver, the drivers who've moved, have shown themselves to be more comfortable in the car. Vettel looks comfortable. Alonso looks comfortable. Perez looks comfortable. We've got 
more normal racetracks coming up. We've got Paul Ricard. We've got two Austrias, big wide open tracks where people can race. I think we're about to see the 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 opening up of this 2021 season, not just for the championship, but all the way down. Uh, look at the championship points. Verstappen is five points ahead of Lewis Hamilton. No, four points ahead. 105 versus 101. That is anyone's championship. Perez is now third, just ahead of Norris, who's still hanging in there, even after a bad weekend for McLaren. So that's fantastic for, for Norris. Leclerc is fifth, and Bottas is wallowing, I think is the fair description, in sixth place with 47 points. So what we do to end Missed Apex podcasts is we give out some awards. We start off nice and positive by giving away our Thing of the Weekend award. Okay, let's be super positive. Let's make this a warm, caring, lovely place, like Kyle Power would have. Kyle, you would you would all make this whole show just a beaming light of positivity if we could, because that's what you're like. You're a, a kind, loving soul, even though your face looks like you're in one of those death metal bands that's like, oh, I hate everything. I'm in so much pain. Everything is hard. But you're a really nice bloke. At Kyle Power F1 on Twitter, go and follow my nice friend Kyle. Yeah. I try not to be miserable everywhere. I am a beam of a beam of hope. I would like to think I'm viewed as as my commun- in my community, which is really astonishing given how broken you are as a human. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what would you give your thing of the weekend award to? Um, oof, there's a few of them, and I will not take the obvious ones because I'm going first. My my thing of the weekend was um was Vettel asking how Rosanna got his number. That's my that's my thing of the weekend. Vettel's sense of humour and the radio going back at the end. Yeah, that's feel-good factor stuff. I like it. Someone in the chat alluded to that the, the, that was kind of Vettel being exposed as 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 a married man who suddenly has a, a lady's voice appear in his ear and going like... Vettel being, Vettel being exposed as a sex pest. Well, he was just being <laughs> defensive. He was just like, wait, whoa, whoa, how did you get my number? Yeah. I know, no, that, that was wonderful comedy. I like that. Uh, you can, like Sweeties, Kyle, if you can have another one, if there's some left over once the other kids have had a turn. Well, I might put my hand up if that's allowed at the end, if I find any more. Okay. And we'll go to Brad, who's kind of the opposite of Kyle. Like, you come across so calm and nice. Like, oh, I'm nice guy, Brad Philpot. But at your core, you're just like rotten, aggressive, antagonistic, but you hide it so well. I refute all of those um, allegations. I've got a thing of the weekend. It is that we had a podium filled with the people who have been sacked or had their contracts not renewed. So Perez, who was kind of forced out of Racing Point, and we had uh, Vettel, who was forced out of Ferrari, and Gasly, who was forced out of Red Bull, and they're all getting some kind of redemption, and that's great to see. Excellent. Matt, what's your thing of the weekend? You know... I'm tempted to take yours away from you since you foolishly let me go next, but I'm not going to. No, do it. Do it. Take it. No, no, I'm absolutely not. I'm going to go once again with Aston's strategy department. Yeah. Oh my goodness. They just nailed it to the wall. And it was such a treat to see Vettel getting that result after such a long time in the wilderness. So yeah, hats off to you, Aston. I'm happy to give you a stick when you're wrong, but man, you got it right this weekend. And I think that was from Friday all the way through to the checkered flag yep. as well, wasn't it? Like that a whole weekend's worth of like really thinking it out. 
yeah, they were the only ones to run the hard tire on Friday. Mm. I mean, just a whole host of tiny little things that added up to the best possible result they can get today. So the reason I asked you to steal what you thought was my one was because I didn't know what you thought my one would be. Are you assuming I would say Perez? Well, it, it did cross the back of my mind, let's just say. Well, I'm going to completely surprise you. My thing of the weekend is Sergio Perez taking an unlikely win at Baku. And and you know what? Like when I was talking to my boy about who do I want to win this battle for second place between Perez and Hamilton? It's just Perez just needed this from a from a fan point of view, being emotionally invested in Perez's success and that that gulp of worry when he actually got the Red Bull contract and I was like, oh, the reality, the reality of him actually going to Red Bull and fi- and fighting Max Verstappen was was hard and we knew he was in for a hard season. But but this even the sec- even the second place, Matt, even if he just finished second, for me that would have been validation of the decision. I'm just imagine. Can you imagine his mind when they say, "Okay, Sergio, it's going to be a standing start. You're on pole in a car with hydraulic issues, and mm. Hamilton is next to you." Yeah, it's, I mean, imagine that pressure. Yeah, and and he rode he rode that out, and it was probably pleased that it was only uh, two laps. So I will I will take my moment of good fandom, and, uh, and when you support, you know, I'm a Colchester United fan, Kyle. So I am very used to taking my moments of glory and just letting them simmer in a nice warm place in my heart. Milk it, milk it for all it's worth. <laughs> um, I've got one more. Go uh, for it. Super Dave in the chat room has pointed out. Great name, by the way. I used to work with a guy called Super Dave. Um, he said, the thing of the weekend was, oh, I've got to say his name again, was um, Toto calling Horner a windbag who likes being on TV, which was, which was brilliant. I was loving the feisty exchange of words it's, between uh, Toto and, um, and Christine. It's developed from a kind of, faux we're pretending we're friends and now the the gloves are off and they are both saying very antagonistic things towards each other like it's not a game anymore no it's like one of those boxing press conferences that just goes awry yeah i I would say let's do a who would win in a fight toto isn't it yeah 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 i wouldn't want to fight toto all right good well that's the positivity out of the way Uh, we do we do a bad thing award. It's called our, our Missed Apex Award. Oh no, you missed the apex. This is where we judge people from our sheds and sofas. People who are highly trained athletes, uh, aerodynamicists, uh, pit engineers. We feel entitled and empowered in this segment to cast judgment on them. So let's go to Matt first. Matt, who missed the apex for you? Who missed the apex for me? Yes. Uh, Latifi's engineer. Stay out, stay out, stay out. Oh, no, wait. I didn't mean stay out on the track. I meant just like, don't come in your pet box. How could you possibly misunderstand that? Yeah, I actually was going to use that, but I forgot about it. So I'm glad Matt chose that. <laughs> that was such a clear instruction from his team. Stay out, stay out, stay out. That in no way would a driver interpret that as come into the pits like everyone else is but don't but stop don't box in the box you you'd come up with something else someone suggested a different phrase in the chat earlier i don't remember what it was but you'd say explicitly drive through the pit lane but do not stop at the box you just say something like that so the stay out stay out stay out was it was obviously a, a reaction from the engineer because that's what they would normally say when they mean don't pit but for latifi he did exactly the right thing because you don't question what your team are telling you They've yeah. got more information than you. If you're being told, stay out, you stay out. 
unless there's an actual physical blockage in front of you preventing you. Well, all right. Well, next, since you're talking, who missed the apex for you, Bradley Philpot? Who does YouTube videos? Yeah. Uh, you um, search for Bradley Philpot or Brad Philpot. Yeah, you'll find it on either of those. Okay. Um, so yeah, search me on YouTube or yeah. Twitter at Bradley Philpot. Um, my uh, missed apex award goes to someone that I'm increasingly not liking every time I hear an interaction from him. And, uh, and this might not be very popular, but Michael Massey, the race director, Ooh. his attitude when spoken to by the McLaren engineers, when they yes. said, Sonoda wasn't slowing for the safety car. Um, we're surprised it hasn't been looked into. And Michael Massey said, and I'm going to get hate from all Australians for my terrible impression. Do it, do Michael it, do Massey it. said something along the lines of, in my opinion, everybody was discounting the yellow flags. And they it's said, yeah, but, but Sonoda bad. was much worse. He didn't, he wasn't slowing yeah, down Yeah, they said it was all. blatant was the language uh, that he used. Yeah, there. and he said, well, in my opinion, he was the same as everyone else. And, and it kind of, it didn't sound right to me because McLaren were trying to highlight a, an obvious blatant rules infringement. Someone not even attempting to follow the rules in this dangerous situation. And it was being equivocated to someone not lifting off enough. And it, that's not quite right. It sounds like obviously Massey was in a stressful situation. Yeah, yeah. Loads of stuff was happening, but I don't like it being governed like that. If there's someone doing something outrageous, that is different to someone doing something a little bit wrong. Matt, maybe, Although, maybe we shouldn't have Massey under this pressure to be doing this publicly. I'm not, I'm, it's entertaining. I'm just, I'm not sure it's useful because the teams know that it's public now and they can put pressure on him. Yep. They absolutely can. And they absolutely will. And they absolutely do. On the other hand, if you're the race director, you're the race director. That's kind of the brief that comes with the job. I'm, I'm going to ask Brad, I don't remember the rules off the top of my head. Do they have a delta associated with many sectors that they have to follow still? Yeah. So I think this is the counter to that is that they, so this also makes Massey's point not quite work because what um, Alpha Tauri will say is that, well, they were just following the delta. He wasn't penalized. They have the delta that they have to stick to when the safety car comes out. And he obviously did that because he wasn't penalized for it. So if Massey's saying nobody slowed down enough, then surely the deltas are wrong. It's not the drivers. Yes. Or he was under just under pressure and came up with a, a poor response. But I think the McLaren engineer handled that well. And it's uh, just treated Massey with respect, like the referee. And, and you know, if, if you're going to have that system, you're allowed one challenge. If you keep gobbing off, Massey needs to have the power to say, do you know what? One more word from you, and it's a three-place grid penalty next race for both your drivers. So we need to have that, Kyle, which is, that's what they do in rugby, isn't it? They go, you argue with the referee too much, 10 yards penalty. Absolutely. I, I used to play rugby, and... Um... More often than not, the referee was said, shut up, number eight, which is usually me mouthing <laughs> off. And he, yeah. he, he, he tells yeah. you to shut up, you shut up. Yeah. Um, it's simple. Uh, in Massey's defense here, he probably has the whole pit wall moaning to him yeah. in his ears, trying all to grasp yeah. each other up and get each other into trouble <laughs> like a load of school children. Like they're all going at each other's necks. We, we were never privy to the conversations that Charlie had on the pit wall to the teams. It could have been no. exactly the same or worse. So in Massey's 
defense is probably is short his his fuse is probably getting somewhat short by then and he's like yep okay yep give it so well nobody did it you weren't exactly angels either yep. he's just trying to shut them up quickly because he's probably got 19 other team bosses wanting to whine into his yeah. ear so for entertainment yes i'm not sure it's the the way forward they might want to have a little look at that i'm going to go before kyle for my missed apex award um i'm going to give it to mazapin oh no look at you you're just hating mazapin because you don't like him for other reasons no i just I can't just can't stand his on track attitude where he is just blocking people. He's not respecting blue flags again. And I tweeted earlier in the weekend the uh, you know pointless F one stat that I made up. Mick Schumacher was the only person to not lose it at Nikita Mazepin over Team Radio. Well, that went out of the window because of that stupid brainless move down the back straight on his own teammate. Brad, did you see that one? I'm not wrong here. That was hideously dangerous. It was a last-minute jink to the right to try and scare his own teammate from taking 16th place or whatever it was. Yep, I'm in full agreement. I saw that after the race, and it was um, unnecessarily dangerous. I think Mick was quite restrained in his response um, and was fully justified in, in calling that one out. Okay, so look, I promise you, this is not a... Oh, well, I don't like him for other reasons. The guy is an absolute menace. He's showing no respect to other drivers. All the other drivers hate him. It's quite clear on the radio mess on the radio things that they're, they're always going like, oh, it's this guy again. There's an exasperation with him. And he just, if I don't know, if, if it was someone else, if it was not someone who wielded as much power and influence and money as Nikita Mazepin does, they would be seriously looking down the barrel of penalty points. Has Mazepin even got any penalty points for his 100 infractions of general racing conduct? Two, maybe two. All right, Kyle, who missed the apex for you? Uh, You've just had it. So um, I was going to say to Mazepin and bring up your tweet thing, but you've (laughs) cruelly stolen that right off underneath my nose. Well, I'm glad I went first now because I really wanted that one. (laughs) It's fine. Um, Unfortunately, it's not very nice. And I really wanted him to, I really wanted to be praising him now, but Bottas, I'm afraid, missed the apex this weekend for me. Uh, You could argue Lewis missed it the previous race and Bottas would have had it, but yeah, Bottas for me. I I don't think there's much more to say. I think mentioned in dispatches should be Lewis Hamilton. I wanted to ask you guys if anyone had noticed that Hamilton has sometimes has weird hand positions on the wheel. Like he'll rest his hand on the wheel sometimes. Uh, Am I I mad? Uh, Kyle, then Brad. That's his um that's his strange start technique with the clutch. Uh, right. he, I think yeah. He puts his um hand over the wheel like Brad's showing now for those who are watching on the live stream. Um this is what I thought he I initially thought it could have been his left hand where he'd clipped the brake magic due to his funny over the top technique yeah. on the wheel as he's pulled off, yeah. but it actually wasn't, it was his right hand. So, oh, yeah. okay. Okay. But but like he's he's not maintaining a strict, you know, ten ten quarter ten hand position, Brad. Well, he, he is when he's driving. It's just during the start phase. Yeah. He he will always hold his left hand over the top of the wheel. He obviously has a position that's comfortable for him to release the clutches, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, we've got two awards left. Uh, one is the Pony Award. Daddy, I want the pony. And I want it now. Me first, me first, me first. Yuki Sonoda's move to Italy has completely worked and calmed him down. Hey, uh, Yuki, could you do this perfectly reasonable thing? Shut up! Like, he just fully tells his engineer to shut up. Like, just 
I don't know if, if that's a language thing. Teach him some better stuff. Like, just get some press training in there, Kyle, and just be like, um, uh, not now. I just need to be left alone for a second while I complete these maneuvers. I can't even remember what the engineer's instruction was now, but the response was so sharp. Was it about pace? Was it about pushing? It was about pushing out, take everything out of the yeah. tyres, a perfectly reasonable <laughs> thing for your engineer to say. Oh. Um, Sonoda, hothead, I think, would be a bit kind, to be honest. he's He has probably got an attitude on him, and I think his engineers, like, they have actually had to move him under supervised living now. He's, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's moved over to Italy. Um, it's funny. They almost need to put some sedatives in his drink bottle. They can go, like, quick, we need to calm him down. We need to calm him down. He's, 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 he's really, he's really, really obviously massively into it but he's got a lot of anger there but if they learn how to channel that positively and make yeah. that into space then he isn't going to be ever short of pace yeah he just seems a little stressed yet in the formula one cockpit is what i would say any other pony awards uh kyle uh max for his um interview after qualifying oh yeah like that that, yeah. like that that was a massive dummy spit and was just he swore and then they obviously rolled their eyes at him he was like yeah but i don't i don't care whatever i don't, I don't care whatever and it was just like really moody stroppy teenagers <laughs> like uh, uh yeah it was quite funny you are not my parents <laughs> Kevin. Brad. brad my pony award is actually kind of uh it kind of goes with my my previous award it's the McLaren engineer for getting on Michael Massey's case and saying uh, that um, Sonoda wasn't respecting the double waved yellows, the chat are telling me. So apparently it wasn't the safety car. That's okay. why they didn't come into it. Um, so it was just that they didn't think he was slowing down enough for double waved yellows. So there's an insight into how all the teams behind the scenes are constantly on poor Michael Massey's case. And I really like Michael Massey. There was that vision of just footballers surrounding the referee. And that's all I could see was like orange shirts going, no, why, why? What about that guy? That was definitely a foul. Matt. I don't even know if it qualifies as a pony, but I'm suddenly remembering Botas and qualifying going, where am I going to get a toe? As they stick him out in front of oh, Lewis. Oh no, no, Matt, that was so like office space. Like, um, they took my stapler. Uh, you know, yeah, they they, right? they they took my toe. Um, it's just that I normally get a toe around Azerbaijan, and and there's no toe, uh, and I've got that burn toe. The place down. I'm gonna burn the place down. <laughs> I brought this toe from home. Um, yeah. Could you just go ahead and uh, move to the the basement, uh, Valtteri? I I think there has to be a pony award for kicking your car. Unfortunately, that does qualify for a pony as well. So Max Verstappen gets one too. Uh, last award is for our chat room where we award somebody with... Comment of the week. So Matt, who are our nominations for comment of the week? I think we're going to have to start with Sleepy0225. Ha's last lap misunderstanding was just Schumacher forgetting how much Mazepin pays for that seat. Carl, did you have a suggestion for comment of the week as well? I was going to. It was DP in the um, in the chat room who rightfully pointed out of uh, Paul DeResta in the commentary of his hate of Lewis Hamilton. Was It was so audible. It was... It was it was funny. So I was going to bring that up because I wanted them. Um, and he actually brought that in the chat room and I completely forgot. So that's my um, PDR and commentary over anything that is good about Lewis being entirely the car and anything bad being the team's treatment over Lewis. Brad. Uh, my one is reject podium. Um, I don't remember who wrote it, but it might have been the same person that Carl mentioned, but reject podium for me. 
Oh, it's the Rejects podium. It's the Raggy Dolls. It's the Raggy Dolls podium. Raggy Dolls. Dolls like you and me. Uh, Matt, that's uh, three candidates so far. Have you got any more for comment of the week? I think I've got a couple more I can share with you. Matthew Granados. Checo is going to be added to the Ocean's Eleven team after stealing that race. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, keep going. Uh, Christopher Fonseca. Are we sure that it wasn't just Sonoda swearing so loudly it was picked up on Max's radio? <laughs> okay, brilliant. Uh, what, what else we got? And uh, I think, um, although we have many more worthy candidates, we'll end with Stuart Neal. Mercedes did not replace all broken parts. They kept Botas in the car. Suhash, what's the winner, Matt? Who's won this award? Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but based on your reaction alone, it's got to be Christopher Fonseca. Are we sure that wasn't just Tsunoda swearing so loudly it was picked up on Max's radio? <laughs> well done, Christopher. You win. Comment of the week. Thanks for joining us for this Baku Grand Prix race review. Please tell everybody that when you've watched a Grand Prix, you want to find out what the guys at Missed Apex Podcast have to say about it. Please tell your friends to go to mistapex.net. And the new episodes are always there. So it's one click, mistapex.net, and you can watch or listen. And please do make sure that you're subscribing on your podcatcher of choice. Don't rely on me to post it on social media. If you're an audio listener, please just check out occasionally what we do on YouTube. We've worked really hard to bring a good visual experience as well. And if you're a video watcher, why not subscribe uh, on your podcast player too, just so that it's there for your Monday morning commute and ready for you to listen to as you mow the lawn. We try and put out six shows a month and we have some extra patron podcast shows as well. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Please follow my panel at Kyle Power F1, at Bradley Philpot and at MattPT55. Oh, I suppose you could follow me as well if you wish, uh, at Spanners Ready, and the show is at Mist Apex F1. Mist Apex F1 has 5,000 followers on Twitter, for which we are delighted. We have 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, for which we celebrated hard. Uh, I hope you will join us and watch our Sunday show, which will be pre-recorded. So no live stream next Sunday. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mist Apex Podcast. Kyle got through the whole show without needing the bathroom. Well done, Kyle. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm stretching. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, though, you have such poor drink management. I'm literally, like, what I did was I had an espresso before the show, so I've got that nice coffee taste, and then I just dribbled a little bit of rum into my espresso cup, so I had coffee-flavoured oh. rum to sip on. You're downing like rum and cokes or whatever. I've smashed a pint of whiskey and coke. Yeah, well, that's going to make you need a wee, isn't it? Yeah, I do quite spectacularly need a wee, actually. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.